This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are talk full of that, man. That's right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with a National Signing Day Week edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into it as I bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drive machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. Not going to ask me how I'm doing? Uh, I was actually <laughs> checking our levels. How are, how are you? That's kind of how we do I this, really, Matt. See, I didn't know if we'd got into you the dis- automated response. You disturbed, you disturbed the rhythm. <laughs> the yeah. rhythm, yes. You are a man of great intros. <laughs> I am not. No, it's all good. Uh, speaking of <laughs> intros, here we go. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, got himself back to Austin, Texas, in the 40 acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he's a card-carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, our lockdown corner here on the show, Mr. Rod Babers. That is a hell of an intro, brother. Thank you, as always. I appreciate it. So, gentlemen, we got, uh, we're got. we not going to go over National Signing Day in depth. Uh, Mike Roach is going to take care of that on State of Recruiting. Yeah. So you want the Signing Day recap, uh, You know, get it from there. We'll talk about some of it in terms of the big picture, but we won't get into the nitty-gritty. Looks like Tom Herman has his coaching staff filled out. We reported Wednesday morning, Texas is set to hire Mark Hagan from Indiana, their co-defensive coordinator as the new defensive ends coach, I guess he would be, with Oscar yeah. Giles coaching tackles or vice versa, what yeah. have you. But So the staff is complete, and we talked about this a while back, Rod, just in terms of we've seen <laughs> we've seen a lot of coaching changes within this football program over the last decade. And there's no, air quotes, right way to put a staff together. Like, even going back to the beginning of the Mac Brown era, like, Mac brought some guys from North Carolina. He hired some guys from outside. He brought Bruce Chambers in from the high school Mm -hmm. ranks. It was a really good staff Mac put together initially, that first staff. A lot of those guys, you actually played for all those guys, I think. Uh, Even the reinvention staff wasn't a bad staff. It just yeah. didn't work out. And, and, I, and I think I think the only guy that didn't actually end up coming with him from North Carolina that was supposed to was Carl Torbush, who actually ended up getting the job in Chapel Hill. Oh, okay, yeah. So, but Carl Boris ends up being the defensive coordinator, yada, yada, yada. But, so since then, we've seen kind of these 
periods where you have to kind of reboot a program. And, you know, Tom Herman, uh, not Tom Herman, Mac Brown, you look back kind of after 2003, Bull Reese is out. It kind of has to, he kind of has to re- reboot the program a little bit, kind of yeah. get change of energy. Kind of tweak it. He really kind of goes with that Dwayne Aquino line and goes back to Dick Tomey, also brings in Greg Robinson, mm-hmm. and that kind of sets you up to bring in Gene Chizik and you win a national championship in 2005. Then you, we talk about 2008 all the time where things have really gotten stale, and had it not been for the combination of – Colt McCoy taking off and Mac Brown bringing in Will Muschamp, the decline happens a couple of years before it actually does. I agree with that. that and new and it's, it's probably not as steep, as fast, as quick as it was, but it, it happens long before uh, you realize what you had with Colt McCoy and bringing in Will Muschamp, which leads, Rod, as you talked about, to the reboot, which honestly everybody talks about, hey, get a blank check, go hire the best staff available so Mac Brown did after 2010. I mean, mm-hmm. he brings in Brian Harson. He goes and hires Manny he Diaz, is. who was the hot young defensive coordinator. He brings in Bo Davis from Alabama to be his D line coach. Daryl Wyatt, one of the best receivers coaches in the country. So Stacy Searles was very well yeah, thought of coming over time. from Georgia. I remember that. So ba- there were very very few holes on that coaching staff. Very few guys where you said, "Ah, oh, that guy can't recruit or he can't develop." It was. You basically had everything you could want in a coaching staff. All the best young coaches in the country that were up and coming. Mm-hmm. You yeah. fast. I'm gonna go get them. Yep. You you fast forward to Charlie Strong, and Charlie had kind of a. You brought some guys with him from Louisville. Brought a guy who was going to be a rainmaker recruiter in Chris Rumph. Really want more national with his coaching staff and then guys. I mean, obviously you bring in Vance Bedford and Les Canning who are Texas guys, but not uh, – things were clearly amiss with that staff. And we all – you guys know, yeah. I didn't like the Sean Watson hire when it happened. I hated it a lot more once we saw the product. Yep. So it was what it was. Yep. And That was his downfall. Loyalty to Sean Watson, obviously. And Part then you, of it. And then you go through <laughs> Charlie's time and a lot of coaches change hands. And then here comes Tom Herman. Pretty much brings in the staff with him from U of H. Made a couple of outside hires. Tim Beck was an outside hire. I'm trying to think of who else came in on that staff. Uh, yeah, pretty much a lot of those guys, though, were with him from, from U of H. Well, he's an alignment guy, right? Big on alignment. Everything aligned. He likes, and obviously, mm-hmm. and even here, he likes having some sustained you know, uh, longevity with his staff. He likes that time for them to connect and form a bond with the team. He said that. With the okay. exception on the initial staff, with the exception of Tim Beck, every, he had worked with everybody. Either mm-hmm. they were guys that came with him from U of H or yeah. he worked with Stan Drayton at Ohio State. Yep. And then really you bring in Herb Hand the next year, but basically you, you didn't change staff. So now as he's put this staff together guys he's been in kind of a weird spot and i say weird spot because texas coming off of year even though you know we've kind of processed the alamo bowl in terms of what you can really take from that and what is kind of fool's gold that don't really look into it that much cuz we've done that did it a year ago obviously with bowl games and putting mm-hmm. too much stock into it but tom herman's in this weird spot now where i think the the perception is and i think we can agree there's some reality to that perception it's kind of go big or go home in 2020. I mean, you, you clearly seven and five again is not going to get it done. Uh, you've got to be nine, ten wins right there in the mix if you're not back. And, and I said going into last year, 
a failure to make a return trip to the Big 12 championship game and less than that was going to be a disappointing season, and that's what it was. Yeah. I think you're in the same boat. You, the, the bare minimum now, the the bar, the lowest bar you can set for Tom Herman in 2020, you got to at least make it to Arlington. Well, and you got a senior quarterback who's best quarterback the Ford Acres has seen last 50 years, not named Vince Young or Cole McCoy. So if you don't get at least 10 wins and compete for a Big 12 title, I'm with you. That would be, in my opinion, a severe underachievement considering that you've got the quarterback in place. The toughest thing is already done. I know you're changing yeah, staff. timing, it's your best chance. So like yeah, after it's your best that, shot. It's after that, really you're going to really hard to do it. Think how yeah. hard it's going to be. Then you're not rebuilding, but you're essentially going to have to start over offensively with <laughs> a – You need a Colt McCoy after your Vince Young. Yeah, like, <laughs> and I know you got a new offensive like uh, philosophy you're bringing in. I mean, he's still going to run the pro spread, but it's going to be Yursich's interpretation of the uh, pro spread. But man, I'm, I'm I'm with Matt. I think now this is your best chance. Senior quarterback, who's pretty much seen everything you can see in the Big Twelve. You know he's one of the better quarterbacks in the country coming back. Man, if you can't compete for a Big Twelve title with that, and I know you got a lot of other things you got to feel. A lot of questions need to be answered. Problems need to be solved, and that's what you got the rest of the offseason for and throughout the season. But you, like I said, the the bulk of the work is done because you got the quarterback. He's a natural leader. He wants, I mean, he wants to be the best version of himself. This is a guy that grew up being a Texas fan, mm-hmm. so he wants to be up there with the the all-time greats accomplishing great things at Texas. He's got his eye on the ultimate prize this year, which for him should be a Big 12 title. And then you can start a, a different discussion. Yeah, and you bringing up the idea this year, you know, Big 12 title or a possible disappointment. Well, ended up as a disappointment. Thing is, is it sort of shows also that Herman – actually has raised expectations. Even though it still didn't meet our expectations, you really weren't feeling that Texas should be in the Big 12 championship game or it's a failure until this season. And that's the first time in about five years that you really felt that way, which it's very odd to say. It was disappointing, yet it's heightened expectations. So he sort of did his job but didn't fully fulfill because now expectations continue to mount, which is actually a good sign. It's one of those deals where – Man, if you can't go win a Big 12 championship with Sam Ellinger, can you go win a Big 12 championship? Can you? Can this program can't afford to wait, Rod, until right. until you, you say, can, well, well, Hudson Carr it's going to be coming hard. of age. Yeah, but then you're that's that Quentin take, Jackson that's coming ex- of age. That takes years to do. I know that. Cases. I agree with you. That's what I'm saying. Like right now, I agree. This is your best shot. And Oklahoma, not saying it matters because Lincoln Riley can do it. He can mm-hmm. win a Big 12 with any quarterback. And Oklahoma. Has won, I don't know how many Big 12 ties. Is it 12, 13 now with eight different quarterbacks? I lose yeah, track. Yeah, 13. I only I think remember me saying 12, and we, okay. we were like, are you kidding? 13 like, no. eight different quarterbacks. So yeah, 13 I, in 19 years, I believe. <laughs> yeah, something freaky like that. So, yeah, they, Spencer Rattler, who's going to be their starting quarterback, I'm sure he's going to be great in that system. But he's still young, and he's going to have his Rattler? growing pains. Isn't it Spencer Rattler? Yeah. I just like, I mean, like the Rattler. No, it is, it's a great, it's, it's it's a great name. name. And he's, uh, I, he's really impressive, too. He's already going to be a Heisman contender. Um. But yeah, you have the senior quarterback in you know in that 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 battle between you and Oklahoma, and of course you are the two powerhouses in the conference. I expect them to at least compete for the Big Twelve title. It's always a toss up when you get there, but man, if they don't play in the Big Twelve title game, yeah, that's a it, it, just with Matt Rule now out of the conference. Oh yeah, Matt, you got a gift, you know what I mean? Matt. You did. You got yeah. a gift. Yeah. Matt Rule decided he all right. You know what? I'm going to greener pastures. 
that is big. I mean, that guy had proven to have been one of the best coaches in the country. Um, hell, might have been, you know, second best coach in the Big 12, potentially. Yeah, and yet Cliffy leave the year before. It's like, just need to get Lincoln to plug up. Got to get Lincoln to get the, the hell out of here. Those but, type of factors but, but cannot the even, is, yeah. The perfect storm is brewing for Texas to be able to compete. Yeah, the the new coaches, I guess, in there, the compatibility, that's going to be the big question. How quickly can the, uh, you know, the message be received and – um, executed with the new coaching staff and the new systems and everything. And I, and I say all that to say this, kind of pick the picture for 2020, that it was going to be difficult to kind of get one of those, here's a blank check, go hire whoever you want kind of staffs. Yeah. Because we saw with some of these searches, Rod, whether it was wide receiver was different because I think you had a really good option on campus with Andre Coleman. The Emmett Jones buyout thing at Kansas, it was what it was. But I don't think anybody – thinks promoting Andre Coleman was a bad hire. I, I, I wouldn't. I would hope you wouldn't because I think that's a really, yeah. really good hire for what you need in a receivers coach right now. But we heard about, you know, how many different D-line coaches they looked into, how you know DBs coaches they looked into, linebackers coaches they looked into. It's just – it's weird because guys might be hesitant to leave what they feel is a good situation to come to Texas where, again, the perception is, well, if you don't win, I'm, I'm going to be looking for a job at this time next year, and I kind of like where I'm at if you're – an assistant coach out there looking for some of jobs. So that was the difficult part for Tom Herman putting the staff together is figuring out, okay, who can you get who's a quality coach who is willing to take a chance. Kind of roll the yeah, roll, roll the, the dice. dice a little yeah, bit. Take a chance on you. And whether you, you're gonna get a you know, one year or two years. I you know, and I think Tom Herman, not that he's been given this uh a nod by C D C, but I think it's understood that Tom Herman He's going to be given another year with the new coaching staff, unless literally they, go, you know, have the most disastrous season possible and don't even make a bowl game. Like I said, if you're, you know if, I mean? well, like, if, and we don't expect that to happen, I think so honestly, in theory, two years. He's been given, saying. yeah, he's been given like, hey man, it's a new staff. All right, we'll give you, you know, as long as you don't fall off a freaking yeah, cliff. Unless we go five and seven, exactly. or lose to Kansas. You don't make exactly. You or got I mean, stuff if, like that. You got a road then, trip to Kansas this year. Yeah, then you maybe we got to have a conversation. But yeah, I think you know, even if he disappoints by not making the Big Twelve title, but they win nine. Games, you know, I still think he's which okay. then begs the question, Rod. If you're looking at seven and five again, you're kind of in that gray area of okay, seven and five. What does it look like? What's the circumstance? It, is, it, is it seven and five where you've got you've got some of those That's exactly right three touchdown the losses, coyote, where, ugly losses, yeah, where you just don't look competitive at all? Can't have those, you know. And, and even but even then, I mean, I think we've seen this team kind of live on the edge the last two, really the last three years with as many one possession games as this team has been. And I, I think what you what you hope for. To, to build on is you started to see really the last two games, the Texas Tech game and the Utah game. It's really kind of the first times we've seen Tom Herman's teams blow somebody out, like get a sizable lead and, and keep your foot on the gas and finish somebody off and say, okay, that was a convincing win. And in the case of the Utah game, it's like, wow, okay, you they didn't score any garbage time touchdowns. Like, no. okay, you you beat a really good team by impressive. four touchdowns. It's impressive. It was no, it was impressive. But even getting back to you know your point about how does it look, you know the Georgia game. I mean, it wasn't a blowout them beating Georgia in the Sugar Bowl, but, but it looked Texas, like one. exactly. When you looked at it, it was like, man, Texas kind of dominated Georgia mm-hmm. in that game. They whipped Georgia in that game, but they did let their foot off the gas a little late, and that was the case all of that year, right? That was the, the that Oklahoma was like the game. Whole, that was I think like three. That's like three or four games where that mm-hmm. happened, where Texas basically kind of let their foot off the gas and had a disastrous fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was a theme. So I'm with you on that. That is a I would say that is a growth. That is growth I, that I see from the team, or at least from the culture. That in that Utah game, they were able to not you know blow them out and at least you know put kind of the nail in the coffin. 
you know, you, finish that team. You physically dominated the game, and the style yeah. points at the end of the night reflected yeah. that. The scoreboard no, reflected that. No, it could be growth. We don't know yet. I said, we're not falling for it. Yes, right. just yet. Uh, we want to see. Yeah. And that was because the opponents did admit yeah. they treated it as yeah. if it was a vacation. Exactly. And, and that's what the co- the players said. Staff the quarterback said that. Yeah. yeah, different staff. They they barely practice. They can practice like five it times. What's what said? We even we said on the show, and I even wrote it on the site. Like that game, win or lose. That was the reason why you couldn't take a lot from it because so much was going to be like, really, like Tom Herman tried to talk all last year about turning the page and all that was last year's team, but nobody believed that, that that was happening. And I think the product on the field reflected they didn't really treat the offseason that way. Last year, like we talked about, it basically you wasted the offseason last year uh, and wasted all those analysts too. Yeah, I you, was like, you, what the hell was all the analysts doing? I thought she was bringing in all these really cool new concepts. I was like, yeah, I guess I mean, not. Yeah, the uh, you know I, I know it's kind of it could be a cliche saying. I, I know some people have heard various forms of it, but you know, going back to to my time playing high school ball, you know, one of the things one of my coaches said, and Greg Carter, who's he's an assistant at Vista Ridge here in Austin, a great guy, he would tell us all the time. He's like, look, he's like. We can go compare size, strength, height, weight with everybody. He's like, and you guys are going to be different. Everybody's going to be different. It's like the yeah. one thing you have in common with your opponent is time. It's what you do with that with that commodity yeah. that's going to define how you compete against the teams you don't stack up with on paper. Totally agree. And Texas did not take – they didn't value that time they had. They didn't They take wasted that time. Yeah. They did not value that commodity. I totally agree. And it showed. But that's why, you, that's why you have the big staffs, right, and all the analysts is, is so you can – you know, uh, be able to maximize that time better so you're not wasting time on what are supposed to be kind of remedial tasks of coaching and scouting and evaluation. And I thought Texas was putting together one of kind of, you know, the Nick Saban all-star support staffs. And I think they were in terms of numbers, but going back to your point, how did you use those guys? What Mm -hmm. tasks did you give Larry Fedora when he was here? And I think Larry Fedora's son, was it Dylan Dylan, Fedora, was also here? Uh, you know, and Andre Coleman, when he was also an analyst, when he was here, and um, who else did they bring in? They brought in somebody else. I'm missing someone. Paul Williams, the guy that's Paul coached Williams. a lot of college football. Yeah. Not David Beatty. Yeah, so they – Well, the Beatty yeah. thing is different, Beatty though. Well, I know, I said not, they wanted but we to bring in we Beatty. I think they wanted to bring in Beatty. But, hell, I, I'm sure they were giving it, they were getting advice from, from <laughs> exactly. Beatty. He brought Beatty He just in. couldn't technically – He just like, couldn't technically the, call him that. Money. But I'm with you. I didn't see – any of their fingerprints or see any of their right. or at least what I could what I could at, at least think or believe were their ideas were new ideas and concepts that came from them it looked like the same old pro spread offense to me yep. and that's the shame with Sam Ellinger in the mix you should have been because he didn't evolve because you didn't evolve the offense right and getting back to the bowl game like that's you know again we talked about and I wrote you can't take too much from it because so much is going to be different we've seen like th- this the 2020 Texas team is going to be a completely different team. Oh, just in so many ways. Just without Duvernay and Colin Johnson alone. Yeah, and then the staff changes and everything staff else. Changes. It's, it's, it, you really, totally you really are now. And, and maybe that's maybe that's a good thing for Tom Herman. Now you're forced to turn the page. Could be. Now you're forced to, you know, based on like the the offensive philosophy, forced to evolve it and grow it. And uh, not be so dependent on oh I just got two really good wideouts that can win one on one matchups, um, and I think they were dependent on that too much last year. Yeah, uh, you know Bobby Burton made for a good highlight reel with Devin Duvernay. Yeah, I mean Bobby Burton wrote a really good piece I thought signing day morning, just looking at kind of because it bleeds into recruiting, and you know I'll 
I'll just read from Bobby's piece. He says, I can sum up how I feel about Texas on-field and recruiting performance in 2019 in one sentence. I think Texas overplayed its hand. In 2019, Tom Herman thought he was going to have a 10-win team that would compete for the Big 12 championship. He didn't. He fell woefully short. He also thought that such a season would lead to a recruiting windfall in the class of 2020. It, too, didn't occur. So he said perhaps one begat the other, but no matter the reasons, that's what went down. And really, I mean, I think you, we, when we're talking about wasting time and everything, right, I mean, I think that's when you write the book on the 2020 recruiting cycle slash 2019 season. I think that's a pretty good way to put it. I just think, you know, I, I've i talked about this. This was kind of Max downfall. I think Augie Garrido fell into this trap. I think Rick, Rick Barnes fell into this trap. When you look at guys at Texas everywhere, it's one of those places, and, and again, you can look at down times when USC's been down or Alabama's been down mm-hmm. or Florida's had their ups and downs. Ohio State's one program that's been kind of just kind of consistent been throughout really time. Consistent. Michigan the same maybe way. Oklahoma have been pretty consistent. Yeah, and even Oklahoma's had their down times, but a lot of that I think you can trace back to when they were on probation and making one really bad coaching hire when they hired John Blake. Yeah, But I say all that to say this. I think when you look at these blue bloods, that have their downfalls or pure or kind of lulls in the timeline. It's guys that you get to a certain point where you're having success and you think, man, we're winning games. Recruiting is easy. And whether you mean to or not, you kind of just put it in cruise control mm-hmm. yeah. and you're not. And, and I think that where, where that showed up rod in the off field product in 2019, that was a team that did not pay attention to detail. They were not a detail-oriented team at all. Yeah. I must assume the coaches weren't detail-oriented. Right. And Mm -hmm. you can look at the issues in special teams. You were one of the worst teams in the country in field position. You were one of the most penalized teams in the country. I mean, that right there, when you're bad in the kicking game and you're giving up a lot of yards and penalties – that's you're undisciplined, you're unprepared, you're not paying attention to detail. Your captains were making – Mistakes yeah. on special teams, Brandon Jones and Devin Duvernay. You're talking about guys who you know have high football IQ. That means, that, to me, that goes right back to coaching. Because those guys, I'm sure if you tell them two or three times, hey, this is the procedure, this is what we're going to do in yeah. this circumstance, this situation, obviously Devin Duvernay can handle that, Brandon Jones can handle that, they're going to play at the next level. And, yeah, we saw them make mistakes in crucial games. Um, ill prepared for those moments, so I totally agree with you. So, Rod, what is the Rod Baver's thirty thousand foot view of this coaching staff it, it, with Mark Hagan? You know, not yet announced, but it'll happen. So it, it's the official. Yeah, he's yeah. we're again we reported that he's going to be hired. I like that on the defense side of the ball. I, I like what they're doing. I like two coaches for basically the secondary and two for the D line. And cause, and I think, you know, we talked about it, too. I think there needs to be an emphasis on those two areas for the Longhorns. I think on, on defense especially, I think they've stockpiled a, a kind of a mass war chest of arms at defensive back, which they got to figure out how to use. Mm-hmm. Um, and defensive line, you would hope that they're going to start that same process with on the D-line. And honestly, I think this 2020 recruiting class could kind of feed into that. Um, the linebacker position, glad Jawan Mitchell's coming back. That's something that we'll talk about, too. Um, and I like the, the hire at, uh, for the linebacker coach, too. I mean, I, I like all those guys. I, I'll get back to what I said before. It's about talent development. And I think that's the whole point of bringing in Chris Ash, that Chris Ash is going to simplify things, streamline things for the players so they can play fast, be all about technique, be all about alignment, assignment, discipline, football, and then allow those guys to play fast and utilize what is Texas' biggest advantage is their athleticism. Overall, their roster is going to be more athletic than – 
95% of the teams they play, um, they should be playing faster. They should be playing more physical. The defensive philosophy of Chris Ash, from what I'm told, is going to allow them to do that. And so we'll see. I mean, with Todd Orlando, we all know late in his tenure, things got too convoluted and messy and distorted. And, you know, I mean, it was just it was strange how complicated things seemed to look yeah. and how players who seemed to play fast weren't put in a position. They didn't look fast. They looked slow because they were always out of position. And this is almost the same stuff that we were talking about at the end of Manny Diaz's tenure, at the end of Vance Bedford's tenure. We were talking about the same stuff. Uh, so Chris Ash has got to avoid that pothole, and I think that goes back to talent development, and I think ultimately that's what they got to focus on now going forward on defense. You're getting, you're getting so much talent. Something There's something lost in translation at the other end of that when it comes to the, the NFL's interest in Texas. Right. Um, and so we can talk about that later. But defensively, I love the coaching hires. I think they're great. And Oscar Giles, is, I think he's not people. He's not getting enough credit, man, for what he's doing. Even on the recruiting trail now, I mean, Oscar Giles got some street cred, apparently. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I pull in a big old class like that with like no success really to see on the field. Like you've had decent defensive line, but like we've talked about, like you've had talent, you just haven't been able to get it to be that top tier like Texas had. Whenever Texas has had the best defenses, it's or true. Continue with but they have two guys in in the league, and you know the. Defensive lineman of the year in the Big 12 in two mm-hmm. out of what three years he's been here. No, it's no, so we big. don't give him enough credit. I'm just saying. Like, and then he lands a big class, too. And so then he like, lands a big class. And I think that's, I think a lot of that is he's starting to get some street cred mm-hmm. out there on the recruiting trail. It's like, no, I got some, I, you know, I got some, I got some guys in the league now. Yeah, I got Puna's some. Puna's going to help a lot. Yeah, I got some accolades. Yeah, Puna's helping a lot, man. I think Charles Menu's helping sure. a lot. I yeah. mean, people, people forget, like, it's so weird how the how the the past decade was, but things got so volatile. Like Oscar Giles helped recruit Malcolm Brown to Texas. Mm-hmm. Forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Back in the old days, Oscar Giles was responsible for helping bring in the last first round pick this program's had. Last five star D line. The last five star defensive like lineman to sign with a Big Twelve coach. school. And, it, and it, it, would he be He's, would he be key in getting potentially the next five star defensive lineman if if Alfred Collins five star? Yeah. He's on y'all's. He's it does seem y'all's, like yeah. Oscar Giles has just been at Texas forever. Yeah, Oscar Giles. I mean, that's true. Oscar Would he G- leave? He's not, o- has he ever yeah, Oscar Giles is the lead recruiter for Alfred Collins. Yeah, it, it, it's it's so he leaves after 13 and goes to La Tech with Manny Diaz, that's and then right. he, he links up with Tom Herman, and that's boom, right. he's back. That's right. Yeah, that's what. It, man, his circle has been tight. Mm-hmm. He really. Yeah. Had, you know what I mean? Is this how it's, it's like? God, it's weird. It's like David Bailiff, uh, <laughs> Mac. Manny and Tom Herman, and it's all and all those oh, yeah. guys. I'm sure I'm almost, missing and David Bailiff and Tom Herman and Mac Brown. Like yeah, so it's, yeah, really, it's just like a, everybody in this coaching yeah, world. Texas, Texas State. Yeah. yeah, no, but that that gives him street. That gives him credit in this. I mean, street credit in the state too. He's been a, a lot of work in this state or in this region, I should say, because he went to Louisiana. And I think Oscar. I think Oscar's life story kind of coming from. Palacios were didn't have a lot growing up and oh, okay. kind of a self-made know. guy. I didn't know his I, background. I, I think that resonates with a lot of kids. Okay, I didn't. Recruiter. I didn't really know his background much. Yeah. I haven't done a lot of research. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, he's know, got a story to tell. He's got, I, he can I obviously was. I obviously was. You know, very young at the time when Oscar Giles played at Texas, so I don't really remember his career. But you talk to people who were around. I mean, they'll tell you Oscar showed up with like two grocery sacks. The stuff when he got to campus, that's pretty much all he had. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, yeah. And Robbie, uh, I mean, I you, Robbie, guys. yeah, you, you, I remember you played those guys. They moved in. Like they like now they doing holidays. They just stayed there. It's like I don't have anywhere to go. What do you mean? Yeah. This is my home now. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I remember those guys. Uh, and to be, they do kind of um, have this feel of when they do make it, they are self-made. Cause yeah. They didn't have a lot of support system. And I think you can agree, Rob. There, there are certain kids where that story is really going to resonate. Like, oh, yeah. don't you don't even think, you don't even think about like what kind of coach the guy is or you know how yeah. he develops guys. It's just like this guy's story where he when he came walks from into that home, when Oscar Jobs walks into that home, he knows immediately. Oh, okay, I know. I, can, I know not, this guy's from basically a similar place that I'm from. Yeah. You see that immediately, and then boom, you can make that connection. And to somebody like Oscar, it's not even like a cliche. It's like, no, Texas is home. Like, whenever yeah. he, he left there, that was his that home. Was my home. When and I went then, to college, hey, I, and I it, did what your kids would be doing, and then look where I'm at now. It'll be the same for you. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And selling family actually does align. The man's doing something right. Right now, he's. That's Oscar. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's Oscar. Yeah, they, I, <laughs> go tell Oscar he's not doing his job. Yeah, I'm pulling up Oscar Giles' uh, Wikipedia hmm. page. Uh, who was the head coach at U of H? Did Oscar Giles work for Art Briles for a minute? Possibly. Oh, I believe he did for two years. Did yeah. he really? I didn't I think know Briles that either. U of H. I got to go do some cyber little little, little cross checking here on Longhorn Blitz. Yeah, Oscar Giles did. He was on Art Briles' initial staff at U of H. Man. Uh, okay. Also worked at SMU, but that's tied too because, like, I think that was when that might have been when Phil Bennett was the head coach at, at SMU when he was there. Phil Bennett ends up being the D coordinator for Art Bryles. So yeah, Oscar Jobs, that that circle is not yeah, uh, it's, not, oh, it's not expansive. Yeah. it's tight, but it is impressive. And his it's relationships tight. With the coaches in this circle. state of Texas for the past thirty years. Whenever you were that player, or then around that staff, and you have just roots branching out to former Baylor, former Houston, or you're at Texas, like the way that he's connected within this state really does help a ton recruiting-wise. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I don't know how we got on the Oscar Giles tangent there, but yeah, uh, give him props. I'm trying to get a five-star <laughs> D lineman today. He's trying to get a five-star D lineman, man. Yeah, he did. It's been he a while. Did, he did work for Phil Bennett for a year. So Okay, there you go. There you have it. Um, bring it home, Oscar. Bring so, home. Rod, we talked about the defensive staff. What about the offensive <laughs> staff? I mean, I, I, I think – I'm I'm higher on the offensive staff as constructed right staff? now than the defensive staff. Yeah, um, I really I love the Yersich hire. Uh, I think and Andre Coleman. From what I've heard, from the research I've done, people they the, the players love him. Parents yes. love him, and I think from well, a from a culture standpoint, he's exactly what no that brainer. he's exactly what that room needed. And he's a grinder on the recruiting trail. And he like told me that, yeah. And I think that's being that was shown in the the latter days of the of this twenty cycle, the yeah. kind of the work he put mm-hmm. in. And you know, people are gonna believe what they want about the reports on Drew Maringer. Like Drew Maringer wasn't perfect by any means, but where it goes after that, I guess, all depends on who you talk to yeah. and what you want to believe. But the bottom line is, mm-hmm. the things in that receiver room needed to change. The culture needed to change. Agreed. And, Something was wrong. Yeah, and Andre <laughs> Coleman, I think he you can't fire you know, the players. From everything I heard from from the bowl practice, whether it was Brendan Eagles getting right or Jake Smith finally get breaking through that wall that he hit in the middle of the season and just kind of kept banging his head into and everything else, basically getting all your ducks in a row for next season. Because Colin Johnson, Devin Duvernay, you only have those guys for a couple weeks. Yeah, you're you're not one game. But it's getting Brendan Eagles right, getting Jake Smith figured out, figuring out what you're going to do with Malcolm Epps, which now it sounds like he'll be in kind of that flex tight end role, which we've talked about. That's probably that tweener role. That's kind of what he is. It's kind of probably where he needs to be. Took him long enough to get there. Like I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I can understand and all, and kind of and appreciate what they were trying to do with him at X. What were they trying to do? Well, Make I think they, I think they looked at. <laughs> He ain't lying sweet. Well, no, 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 know, no, like no. That, that mold. No, but th- this is what I think they were doing with, with what they want out of that position. 
the the worry was he's never going to block well enough to be a tight end. But they felt like what he did do well, and sometimes we saw this. Sometimes we sometimes we saw this. Sometimes we didn't. Is his size, his ability to high point the ball, what they valued, what the previous coaches valued at that X position, they thought would play well there. And you could kind of see it. It just didn't always translate. But I think, Rod, I think we can all agree, if you can find a good matchup for him on a week-to-week basis, just move him around and don't pigeonhole him into make him this or make him this. Just, again, make him your matchup guy. I didn't understand. I could have watched him, honestly, for – 10 minutes run routes and go, well, he ain't going to be the X on the outside. Yeah, he's not a modern-day outside he's not, he's not. He's not. He's definitely not creating separation, and he's not Colin Johnson where his catch radius and high-pointing ability of the ball is in elite quality. He's not I there. think that's where they that's where and they you can train that. him for that, but usually that is kind of a natural thing. Especially yeah. for a big guy. Usually he's like, this is how I dominate. I just go just throw it high, I go the get it. We expected and, him basically be throwing, they be throwing alley hoops to him. They mm-hmm. should have been because he's what six? Is he six six? Or six he's seven? legit six six. He you know might I mean? he might be close to six seven yeah. bare feet. So uh, he's got the frame. I totally agree with that. But my thing was going back to the evaluation. Y'all didn't know. Y'all didn't see that. Did we we've been we've been, t- we've been saying they should play him at the flex tight end. Like uh, we brought up Dan Buckner, Dan Buckner before, yeah. and we brought up that several times. We brought that up last year, last year, mm-hmm. and they just figured that out. Yeah, it's like, I'm, come on, man. I mean, like, it, what are y'all doing in the offseason? Getting back to your point, what are y'all doing? Are you evaluating these players to put them in a certain position to be successful? What are you doing? Because that didn't take long to figure out. And then that will lead you to, okay, then we got to find another guy that can play the X. Or we got to cross-train Eagles to play the X and the Z. And we got to do this. And that will lead you down to where you go. Oh, you know what, Jordan Whittington, we got to make sure that he can play the wide receiver and the running back. Whatever it is, all right, to try to give yourself multiple options to solve the problem. But the fact that you will keep trying to shove these, you know, these round, these, you know, these round pegs into square holes is crazy to me. Yeah, because Epps, his size, it, a just, square peg in a round it can be like, enticing. <laughs> in, well, either way, they both don't work. A, I think you can get a round Well, if it's smaller. It depends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, you get that point. You can put a square inside any <laughs> circle in the <laughs> You get the point. It doesn't but, fit. Yes. All right, it's a point and then, coming. exactly, and Epps didn't. At that position, in it sort of was weird because, like, you know, it, we have, we've seen receivers basically become more athletic, have more ability. Like, if you have to high point a ball, you got to be able to jump. It didn't seem like Epps would get off the ground. He had no short Space yeah. quickness. He had all Great the things point. that made you trend to be a tight end, yet you're identifying and putting him almost because you don't have, because of the rigidity of the just 11 personnel that you right. were running, you the needed system. somebody to play this role, yeah. and maybe nobody fit the role, so they put the biggest guy out there. Either way, it just Ridiculous. wasn't an efficient way to use your talent. You want to get the best 11 yeah. out there. That's why we were wanting the guys with more multiplicity so you can shift them around and put them in different spots and exactly create right. those mismatches instead of putting a guy that's not respected. So then it almost can get all the other parts of the defense to focus on where the ball is actually going to be funneled because now you've almost made it 10 on 11 if you don't respect half of the stuff that he does from that position. Yeah, it's a disservice to the player. Is what yeah, means. that's what I'm saying. Like, I, Malcolm un- Epps I understood no. the thought process and putting him out there, but that was on the coaches. Like, if he can't do those things you thought he could do, then you've misevaluated the player. Why would you think he exactly. could do it? Exactly. I mean, we, like I'm saying, like, then, that's a, that's a, then that's another entirely different issue. 
Yeah. About your misevaluations of players. And, and then you got to go back and look at, okay, did we misevaluate? How many players have we misevaluated if we missed that one? Well, Let's and go back makes, and look at all what, of them and that's see what, if we misevaluated some other guys. Every, every time, as we kind of shift to talk a little recruiting, every, every year when these classes get put on paper and you just kind of look at it as a whole, there's again, there's a difference between acquiring talent and building a team. Yeah. If you're just recruiting guys just because he's ranked in a certain spot and it's going to kind of boost your profile and boost your class ranking, that's not how you do things. Yeah, in a vacuum, it's not how you win games. Each of the 85 individual players have totally their agree. own s- skill sets. They do not matter. You can get 85 of the best ones, but they don't fit as well. It's not going to work. And those are the type of idea that viewing each player individually in the vacuum is almost just pointless to do when you're actually trying to look at how the team is being put together and extrapolate success. Because even with the way the recruiting services are set up is to project NFL future, not what they're going to do collegiately. That's a really good point. So it's so huge to think and connect those to where it's good to have highly talented players, but you got to trust that your institutions put the right person in place to identify which ones fit. I, I still think, I, I, and I agree with both of you guys, but I think it goes back to even more so than, you know, make sure you get the guys that fit your system and yes. your, your ideology. You know, you got to develop that talent really well. And you got to figure out what you do. Say say you're not really good at developing talent. Then you got to make sure you're getting the top players yep. at every position, period. Mm-hmm. You got to be I mean? Mac Brown. You yeah, got Mac, Mac Brown. Brown knew he didn't and have excess snows, Mac Brown but he the best guys. He wasn't developing, you know, a ton of talent. Like a lot of guys came into the system, and honestly, Corey Redding probably was underdeveloped. Not gonna lie to you. Yeah, I think Corey Redding should have been a better player. Um, and and I'm just saying because he was, he was, he came in as like a linebacker. Yeah, top he come player in, in the an nation. Outside linebacker, kind of a Josephville side, but he's the best defensive player in the country. And because of I don't know if it's misevaluations or what. Ends up end up putting him as, as like a you know hand in the dirt defensive end, which in my opinion honestly shortchanged him a little bit. And then in the NFL he ends up becoming like a D tackle mm-hmm. <laughs> later on. But I think they shortchanged him. I think he should have been kind of the next level of a def- a, a, a multiple defender yeah. that would multiplicity Could play early a three, on. Four or a four, yeah, three. he could have been doing a lot of freaky stuff. But I mean they were, they were thinking old school. But getting back to the point about Mac Brown, Mac Brown just said, okay, I'm just gonna get the best. Yes. I'm gonna get the best. Player defensive in the country, that's Corey Redding. I'm going to get the best uh, offensive player in the country, that's Chris Sims, also underdeveloped. You know what I mean? And boom, we're going to beat everybody. Three five-star receivers. We're going to have the best of the best of the best, which is ultimately one of the reasons that he's a, he became a prisoner of his own excellence after those years of acquiring the best of the best of the best of the best. People are going, hey, why not more results? More yeah, results. Look at all, all the these best. recruiting classes. you got the best. Why aren't you the best? You're recruiting the best. You're getting the best. Why aren't you the best? And then ultimately, of course, he ends up winning the national title later. So you can go the Mac Brown route or you can go, you know, a route about, hey, I develop talent really well. I'm Matt freaking rule. All right. I develop talent. Mm-hmm. You know what? Man, just give me a damn ball player. I will turn him into a you know, Gary Patterson. All right. Mike Gundy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll turn him into a, a player. I know there's a certain ceiling when you're recruiting those types of players, which is why Texas, you know, you Ohio State and the yeah. Clemsons and the Bamas, you know, they're both. They have that you know 100 I mean? percentile possibility. They're doing both. They're getting the best players in the country, but they're also developing them like a scheme. son of a gun. And you, so you got to have both to be a true champion. Now, like I said, nothing wrong with Oklahoma State's doing, nothing wrong with what TCU's doing, but we all know they're going to contend for a national title every, what, 
15 years or so maybe you, you have to do I, I've talked you know a lot I mean? I've talked yeah, a lot about they're going to have to get that perfect formula I've talked a lot about the 2014 TCU team you basically have to catch lightning in a bottle yeah like and they did, did. Yeah. new OC right two new OCs with Sonny Cumbie with, with the perfect quarterback to run yeah. that offense and Trayvon Boykin and you just happen to have a first round pick at wide receiver and Josh Doxson you were loaded at running back you had a top what a top 10 defense in the country yeah and you again I, I say this all the time about that team they were one just meltdown in the fourth quarter in Waco away from being in the playoff. Like, if TCU exactly. beats Baylor, they're in the playoff. That's another thing you got to talk about is Baylor. Mm-hmm. Baylor's done it really more than, a, more than a school of their, you know, of their ilk should have been able to do it with Art Browse and then coming back to do it again with Matt Rule. If there's like, a, not an just, example, just it's this decade the, Baylor shows. Yeah, just to shows. get in the college football playoff discussion. You know what I mean? What a good and coach can do is Baylor this decade. Yeah, so considering what, everything. You know, considering where Texas is, you know, that's, that's another reason why if you're – Tom Herman and CDC, you know, they they really need to come up with what they what their standard is for success here because a lot of people are looking at Baylor and going, man, Baylor's done it two different times with well, two different coaches yeah. after having significant sanctions and one of the lowest points for any program in the history of college football, and yet, boom, one good coach comes back, brings them back to life. If Dave Aranda does it. Then that's I mean it's gonna look really bad. Well, no, I just it's gonna look really, really bad for Texas exactly. and Tom And they it, they're the Texas version of Miami, the private university that had a Schnellenberger and a Jimmy Johnson, and in one decade transformed point. from being the laughing stock. Miami was a laughing stock. Baylor was a laughing stock. Then you get two transcendent coaches that understand what they're doing and forever change that institution to where they're viewed at a level that you were never viewed before. And Baylor's got to that point that they're viewed as a national program. And, you know, to any Joe Blow, you're playing a Big 12 team, it's like, oh, Tech, Baylor, Texas, you know, like you're clumped in. They're that successful. It's crazy to think. But when you're in a private university in a recruiting hotbed, just get a couple of the right coaches and it can change you forever. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Baylor, the interesting thing about Baylor when you look at Texas, and we talked about the coaching staff and all different kinds of ways Texas has tried to do it. Baylor did it right in two very different ways. One was you had a schematic advantage that nobody else in the country had. You had that, you know, that Art Browse like, Veeran shoot. Like we baby. talked about that Veeran shoot offense. Man, if you're not Art Browse, Kendall Browse, Sterling Gilbert, Matt Maddox, Dino Babers, Dino Babers, like very, it's like, uh, it's like, it's like, it was like six guys in the country. Unless, that you're, had the, unless you're one of those guys, yeah. you're not getting that offense. And it wasn't a playbook. They literally mm-hmm. were like, it was like a conceptual thing. They passed down like a religion from each other. <laughs> the spoken word. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's why like, the chosen son. And, I, and yeah. I, I wouldn't even put Dino Babers on there because now you look, who did Dino Babers just hire as his offensive coordinator? He wants the Veer shoot, so he went and got Sterling Gilbert again. Well, he wants a more pure, a pure version of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, maybe it had gotten it, yeah. watered down a little no, bit. No, you're right and about that. You look at Jeff Trailer at UTSA, who's his OC. I mean, brings in Matt Maddox because yeah. he wants that offense. And he wants that offense. Again, really. if you want well, that offense, works. you get it for a certain. It works. And then, like we talk about with Matt Rule, Matt Rule, Matt Rule, this is why I think he's great for the college game, and I'm interested to see how it works in the NFL. Matt Rule looks at prospects almost like somebody looks at flipping houses. Has this house got good bones in it? Um, is it in a good neighborhood? Yeah, I can work with this. Like, why, why are you going to buy that house? Yeah, But he's a talent developer, though. That's why I think he's going to yeah. be great in the league. And he's just like, trust me. Give me give yeah. me some time, and I'll, I'll turn this into – I'll make a profit on yeah, this. So, for that point, great at, great at finding, like, penny stocks, which yeah. the NFL is all about. the salary cap league. So, you can find a guy, a, a, you know, be an undrafted free agent and turn him into a guy that's a contributor. Man, that's money. That's money that you're yeah. saving the whole franchise – He's one of those guys. He can develop talent really well, and his football knowledge, as we've talked about, probably more expansive than 
honestly, most coaches at the college level or the pro level, other than Bill Belichick and John Harbaugh, um, and actually I think Joe Judge is in there too. He's one of the only coaches in the NFL that's coached all three phases of the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? In different positions. The guy, I, I think he's going to be a, a smashing success in the league, man. I'm a huge Matt Rule fan. And getting back to Matt's point a minute ago on the Baylor thing, that's what's so frustrating for Texas fans. And I think even, honestly, for Texas A&M fans too. Like I've said for years. That's a great point. I've said for years. Because at least Texas has that 05 national championship <laughs> you played for one in 09. Like to me, A&M is the most underachieving program in the country in the last probably 50 years. Yeah, they haven't done anything in the, when since you, when World you look War at the, the resources, the recruiting background, like at least Texas has skins on the wall. What does A and M have? You could argue that. You could argue that. Uh, they had Johnny, yep. and Jimbo. They had that one year with Johnny Manziel. They have Johnny and Jimbo, pretty much. Johnny Manziel. And you're paying is your Jimbo Fisher's the highest paid coach in the country, and you get seventy five million guaranteed. But for them to get a chance, and, that, and I guess I mean you pay any anybody would come for that kind of money. But yeah. they had a national championship winning coach. Which, yeah, they could have gave Mac Brown that money. Mac Brown would have mm-hmm. been like, I hook him, horns down, horns down, thumbs up, gig him, gig him, guys, gig him. Hell, I'll live in College Station. You pay me enough money. I think anybody. So I guess that doesn't mean as much. But at least they got a national championship winning coach. And they had Johnny. So you're right. They haven't done much, but you know but, they're still young in their uh, in their pursuit to be a blue blood. You know, what I mean, yeah. they just started on this journey. It's less than ten years, so they're still they they just moved into this neighborhood in the SEC West. And I just they thought just, about Mike Leach's back them. to rag yeah, on the exactly. Aggies. I can't believe and, and, it. And this is and this ultimately is, is why they're going to be haunted. You know, they left the Big 12, and the Big 12, you know, was the most prolific offensive league in the country, and obviously has continued that tradition. And now you look at that SEC West now, with the game you, know, you, got changed, a Bri- you got Kendall Browse in there calling plays for what? What's he Arkansas? Arkansas and Pittman. then you got Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss bringing in a high-powered offense. Bama has been high-powered for a while with Steve Sarkeesian. Malzahn's yeah, you got still Leach. There. Yeah, Malzahn still there. Malzahn's still there, but you got Chad Morris. Yeah, now <laughs> play. It's like the Big Twelve all over again, and that's not really good news for for A and M. Because that yeah that that SEC West now is. It's an offensive juggernaut. I don't know what LSU is going to do, but I'm assuming they'll try to just keep whatever Joe Brady had going, but without Joe Brady. So is A&M in the SEC? Is it like the? Thank you for taking him. (laughs) Good point. Thank you. He can't come into the state and recruit the best quarterbacks and receivers. Matt Rule a lot. uh, after this past year, he He relieved a lot of pressure. Two games next year, he left Baylor with a new coach. So I'm glad, and he also left LSU without an offensive coordinator. Thank you. So Rod, are you are you basically (laughs) saying that A&M and A&M's pursuit to be a blue blood is it kind of like? I guess kind of like the poor person that wins the lottery and then immediately moves into like the really nice neighborhood and I it's like, like look we're in this gated community could you please not have your cars on blocks in the front yard <laughs> Yeah they haven't learned yet right the uh, how to conduct themselves like a blue blood they still do Can you please like, not leave your spit cups laying around yeah. at the country club Yeah and they're not going to be a blue blood until they can win a national title and also not only that but then consistently you know win after that 10 11 win season that's going to be really tough in the SEC West it just is for your reality. show, you need to pull up some of the old Aggie quotes from Mike Leach just talking about how come they get to pretend they're soldiers. They're actually in the military. <laughs> I'm going to go have a Mike's Pirate School. The freshmen get bandanas I when you're a it. senior. I give you the skull and crossbones. Dude. But, yeah, Mike Leach, he's been hilarious. But, again, I, I mean, we'll, we'll get to signing day, and A&M's going to sign a really good class, and Texas is going to sign will. a really good class, and they're both just going to kind of be the, 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 the trend looks like just kind of, hey, you're just kind of – Listen, I still puttering sup- along trying I, to figure it out. I still support the Andy move. I think it, I told I said at the time it was the right move. I said they'd go there and be successful. I think they have been successful. 
you're looking at the circumstances. They got a Heisman Trophy winner out of the damn deal. They ended up, you know, having one of the greatest seasons ever out of it, and they're making more money. They get Jimbo Fisher. I, I do. I think it lifted their profile, but there's a cost, and the cost is got to play Bama every year. The cost, play the cost is that year. great year you had you were – Third place in your own division. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That that is the, the cost. That, yeah, it's the cost. It's like when you move into that really nice neighborhood. You know, the property taxes go through the roof. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. you want to live in Westlake? Yeah, of course you do. But them property taxes are a son of a. <laughs> and that's the same thing for for A and M. They moved into the really nice neighborhood, the best neighborhood in college football, where all the blue bloods are, mm-hmm. Auburn and Bama and LSU. Because they want the image. They want to be big time. They want to be big time. But can they afford the property taxes of college football, which is getting your head bludgeoned in by Bama? LSU and Auburn every year. Not saying it's happening every year, Aggies. I'm just saying, I mean, it would happen to it's us every year happen. right now. We get bludgeoned by those programs if we play them every so, year. So they get those checks. They get those checks. And they got actually went there That's for the hot. communism. So and they didn't they want to come go. here. So it's worth it. They, 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 they're making money and they lift their profile and they play big games. And they played it safe and did it yeah. that way. They could have stayed here so, and maybe taken over the conference yeah. that year with Jimmy Johnny Manziel. They would have made and so um, much ultimately, money. Ultimately, the move, it did hurt Texas. And it yeah. hurt. It hurt Texas, and it hurt the Big Twelve. So if that was their goal, ultimately, probably it it, it, it worked. Do you want to be did. good, or do you want to hurt Texas? Hurt the Big Twelve. Yeah, hurt it, Texas. Exactly. Hurt Texas. That matters. <laughs> okay, you know what's going to really hurt Texas? Then let's do it. It did, do it. <laughs> it did exactly what I thought it was going to do, and what a lot of us called from the standpoint that. It's different for Alabama and LSU to recruit Texas if they just wanted to go get a kid out of Texas that they really liked. Back in the day. It's a whole different ball game when now there's a school in Texas that's in your division you that is them. threatening to take money out of your mouth. Amen. Now you have to recruit Texas. You It has to be its own territory for mm-hmm. you. You have yeah. to pay. It, it has to be more important for you. And yeah. we've seen LSU do it. We've seen Alabama do it. We've seen everybody in the SEC. Everybody in the SEC. Florida's SEC. coming in to recruit everybody. Texas more than yeah. they ever have now. <laughs> Florida got like a quarterback out of Texas. I was like, out of Houston. I was like, what the hell? Georgia, Georgia's coming in to recruit Texas. Yeah. Which now makes it that's why Texas now has to go. So now everybody basically almost close to, you know, a half or, you know, maybe a third of your class is going to be out of state just because the modernization of college football, but also, but, you know, the Big 12, the, the Pac 12, and uh, I, honestly, you know, the, the SEC with Florida, I think they could throw in that category. Those schools in those fertile recruiting grounds, the best recruiting states in the country, the Blue Bloods don't have a chokehold on those states anymore like they used to. Right. Right. It used to be like, oh, Texas owns Texas. Oh, Florida State uh, and Florida and Miami, they own Florida. That's not the case anymore. Look right? at the and USC look at, doesn't own California. Look at Southern California. Where, where are the top two prospects in Southern California signing where this year? I'll tell you where they're going. One's going to Alabama, the yeah. other's going to Clemson. That quarterback, right? They're going to Bama? Yeah. yeah. America's youth is yeah. less regionalized than exactly. it's ever been. Yeah. The internet world has made you be able to yeah. where you can be fans of teams on other sides of the country and like you can feel the closeness that you get because your media coverage of your favorite player or favorite school is so much more vast. You used to have to rely on local media for the local teams because it wasn't even available to you. So it's changed the dynamic. It's, it's not just that, that totally move. It's not just that. It's, it's the it's the recruiting process and the access kids have understanding like the unofficial visit process. Like if you're in a contact period, you can take unofficial visits as much as you want. Well, and then now and now, them all. and now that you've got you've that got select seven on seven teams. A lot of these club teams they'll travel. They'll 
They'll go hit anyway. schools. And some kids are using their spring break now. Okay, I'm going to go to the southeast. I'm going to go visit Bama, Auburn. Yeah. I'm going to get over to Florida and get up to Clemson and it's, before and I come it's, home. And it's cheaper uh, just economically in our country to travel than it's ever been. So, yeah, if you actually if you make plans way ahead of time, say you're a – you're a young junior, you're already getting interest in, yeah, uh, actually you can, you know, make flight reservations and go fly different, you know, different games and, you know, different weekends and go yeah. see teams. So, yeah, it's a, it's, a whole, it's a whole different world. But the question is, can Texas in this new ecosystem, right, where, you know, Mac Brown did it differently. He was like a, he was like a third world dictator. He, he ruled this state with an iron fist and it was trickle down economics for everybody else. You just got the leftovers that Texas didn't get. And that's how they won the national title. Then they would go take a Chris Sims. Or post you know what I mean, from a from a, of another state. But now, now that it's you know a you know you're you're basically a half or three fourths of your recruiting class going to be from Texas, and the rest is going to be out of state. You know, can Texas win a national title in this new ecosystem? That really hasn't been proven. And honestly, the Big Twelve really hasn't proven that it can win a national title in this new ecosystem. Right, so it's been a while even since they competed for a national title in this new ecosystem. Because I think what's what's different about the Big Twelve in recruiting is that, you know, Texas is the state that supports all the 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 football life in in the Big Twelve. It's the state of Texas. You don't really have any other fertile recruiting grounds that support mm. the conference. The, the, SEC the SEC and the stuff. ACC, dude, they got so many damn states that produce NFL players per capita in the top ten. I can't even name them. And even California's got, you know, there's still with with California, you got the Pac-12, and you got, you know, Colorado and Washington are still producing NFL. And they got all the, the Polynesians and Hawaiians. In Arizona. In Arizona at a pretty good clip. What's the Big 12? What is it? Oklahoma? Oklahoma's like... 30th, I think, or something like that, and producing NFL players. You're not, you're not gonna, I can't you're not believe gonna, it You can't count on Louisiana. I mean, whatever you're getting out of Louisiana, it's mostly going to be guys that LSU doesn't want. Or well, yeah, you know what I mean? Because they rule that state how Mac Brown used to rule Texas. Like, no, yeah. we get the best players in the state, and then we whatever we don't want, you can have. You can't, I mean, <laughs> you can't even really count on, like, you know, Kansas City metro area because of Kansas, Kansas State. You really can't count on that either. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, so so I, I understand them. I'm just saying like, that that now has kind of changed the dynamic in the state. And, of course, now A&M has left the floodgates open for the SEC, as we mentioned. So it's, a, it's just a different ecosystem. You got to master it. I'm just I'm wondering how Tom Herman's going to do it. So in the in the context of what we're talking about A&M, is Texas then – because I, I do think, I mean, look, if the Big 12 is going to win a national championship, it's, it's going to be Texas or Oklahoma because yes, – of course. Texas and Oklahoma have access to the type of line of scrimmage talent you need to go win a national championship. Yep. Especially with the as playoff you, now as you where brought you need up. two wins, yeah. not one. Yeah, the D-line and that O-line. You need yeah. them. Talked about that last week. I mean, it's in Oklahoma, we saw Oklahoma uh, with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, probably the best offensive line in the country with those guys. But yep. at some point, man, if you don't have the horses up front defensively, you're going to get exposed at some point. Yep, I totally agree, especially in that college football playoff. And that's what happens to Oklahoma every year. And and we're, I don't know if we're close to Oklahoma. That's my concern, too. Right. How close are we to them? And they have been more consistent at competing. Well, so is that, is that is, is, is Texas is Texas the, the house in the gated community that everybody looks at? Like, wow, that's a really nice house. And then you get inside. Like, Man, you plumbing doesn't work. You <laughs> yeah. Light fixtures hanging all over the place. No, like, no, what, is, what, what did you guys do in here? That's a good one. It's Man, like, remember that? The facility. Every, every nice neighborhood, there's this really old, nice house. And it used to be the uh, nicest house on the block, yep. right? It was really nice. 
and now after ten years, <laughs> after yeah, that's right. After like a decade of you know, kind of people not pay, you know, not not keeping up with it and not showing it a little TLC and it being ignored and like you said, now it's haunted. Yeah, it's like now the it's got Adams cobwebs. House. Yeah, now it's got cobwebs everywhere and like the the plumbing, it, it it's broken and sucks and the wiring is all bad. It's still got a really really good foundation though, and like. You know, uh, the 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 so great, saying we have potential. The great DeLos Dodds always say, you know, we we don't keep up with the Joneses. We are the Joneses. And my reply always was, well, now the Johnsons are caught up with the Joneses. So what are we gonna do? And that's what's going on with Texas right now. Yeah, you're right. Still got that really nice house, but it's decayed and broken down, and all the houses on the block now. Look better. Look nice and fancy. It look nicer. Yeah, right. It's like, that's a nice house. Baby's mm-hmm. got a nicer house. I think, no, no yeah. way. It's like, they got actually. river and they got them jerseys. <laughs> so, to tie this all together, when you look at this Texas <laughs> signing class, and we'll see where it ends, it should be another top 10 class for Tom Herman. And like we talked about last week, I just get so infuriated at the, well, you know, player development's more important than recruiting. Like, no, it's all important. It's all important. You need to get, you need to get, here, here's, like, you said it perfectly, Rod, and I'm just going to kind of repeat what you said earlier. Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, they've shown you how recruiting should work. Mm-hmm. You have to do the best job you can to get high-end prospects that fit your football ideology and then develop them, and that's when you're competing for national championships. Yep, no doubt. I mean, that's why those programs are so consistent. You. You, we, you know recruiting. You have to get the top talent. And don't that's, fall off. That's why there are only like 10 or 12 teams that can win the national title every year. Yeah. All right? That's the reality. They're why? always in that Because they're the only ones getting the top talent. And if you don't get those guys, you're probably not going to compete for it. Right. Maybe you can every now and then like a TC or Oklahoma State or a Baylor did. Uh, so, But I'm with you. I think for Tom Herman, he's getting that top talent. We know that. Uh, and now we got to see if this new coaching staff can develop these guys in their these new systems, and I don't think it. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't think it should take that long either. I don't, you know, getting these guys acclimated to a new system. I don't think it should be something that should be a long, drawn out process. If it does, then that means you guys didn't make the systems not compatible with with the talent, and that should always be your main goal: make the system compatible to the talent, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I don't know if enough of that's going on. So how do you do that? Well, Matt, it goes back to what you and I have talked about for a long time. you got to minimize your bust rate. There you go. Amen. And if you look at, let's say, look at Tom Herman, that abbreviated cycle they had, right? He talked about the transition class. And, oh, mm-hmm. transition class have such high bust rates and this, that, and the other. Even if you want to throw Rob Cummins in there who, you know, never really did anything because of injuries. It was all injuries. Yeah. He had, I think I had three, four knee operations. Even if you throw him in there in with what would be considered the bus rate with Tony O'Carter and Jordan Pouncey, that 2017 class right now is tracking for only like a 17.6 percent bus rate. Pretty good. You're under pretty you you good. if you're under 20 percent bus rate, then you're you're doing really really well. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And you throw in you got your franchise quarterback, Taquan Graham's in that class. You got Gary Johnson in that class. Yeah, you got some ballers in Montrell that class. Montrell and Josh Thompson are guys you count. K. Brewer, Derek Kerstetter, Sam Cosme. So yeah, I mean they're you're. And, and if I'm not mistaken, that was one of the lowest-ranked classes in Texas football recruiting history, 25th, correct? 25th in the country. Uh, lowest in the modern era. So I wonder, as I was got my, my, my thought about Tom Herman, you know, and his the underdog, uh, you know, philosophy and psychology with him where, you know, he, he loves being David more so than being Goliath. Mm-hmm. 
uh, that kind of goes into that, right? Where he's recruiting a lot of these guys who it's kind of that was like his makeshift recruiting class. That was an underrated recruiting class. Didn't have a lot of mm-hmm. you know high ranked blue <laughs> chip guys. guys, and yet he churned out a lot. He's, he's getting the most out of that class. And <laughs> Talk getting, about alignment, maybe yeah. that's alignment. So well, I'm just saying like that's you know I so I want him to kind of have that same approach with the 2018 and 2019 class, and I wonder because they were so talented if he changed up. His approach. Would you like to know your bust rate right now tracking for the 2018 class? Give it to me. 7.8%. Pretty good. That's damn good. Awesome. Damn good. Now, you've got guys that are, we've talked about this group, like, you know, like the Caden Stearns, B.J. Foster, Brennan Eagles, like, you know what you got with those guys. But the, you know, Reese Moore, Rafiti Gurmile, Vontae Waters. This is Daniel Carson. Like, this is the time when you need to start to figure out, okay, which way are these guys going to go? Hard to project the hit rate of that class. Mm -hmm. But if you can just, like you said, we always believe the key was, and Matt statistically pointed out and for years has been championing it, but if you just minimize the bus rate, a lot of the other stuff will take care of itself. Just Mm -hmm. make sure that you you keep the talent on campus. Yeah. Don't let the exodus happen. Have average everywhere, you know I mean? and then you're going to be as good as your stars. Yeah, like you don't want to have a crater somewhere which exactly. can fall Exactly. You don't have to collapse yeah. because you have guys that can fill in when there's an injury at a certain position, or one guy ends up having to medically retire out of nowhere, which mm-hmm. inevitably will happen to everybody. Yeah. Right. There'll be something that happens to one guy, injury, medical retirement, uh, maybe Chance. one guy transfers, mm-hmm. transfer portal, whatever it is, and if you just got enough talent and depth, you can, you can mitigate that damage. But when yeah. you don't, that's when you get the the, the got to fall off a cliff. Yeah, mm-hmm. like your uh your twenty nineteen class bust rate, you're already over ten percent. You're over a little over, which 11%. is still low. Still low, but yeah. you look at some of the losses, like you had Brew McCoy transfer out, then Gabriel mm-hmm. Florida's a medical retirement. We don't know what's going to happen with Darian Brown. You've had Javon Shepard transfer. Man, Caleb some of those John- have been Caleb, Caleb Johnson some transfer. Some of those have been so random, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just like I stuff, mean, Brew McCoy almost doesn't control. even count. Like. Stuff you can't control. At, the, at this yeah. time a year ago, like when you talk about running back, we talked about how big running back was, and this goes back to the whole Jordan Whittington conversation we talked about a lot. Like he moved because he had to move in the spring because you know you try to get Trey Sanders or Noah Kane that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. But then, like Tom Irwin didn't think Darian Brown was going to have a stroke. Yeah, no, exactly. That's not his fault. That's no, not nobody Darian. predicts that. Yeah, but getting that's why the conversation goes about about bus rate is so important mm-hmm. because. You know, if, if you if you're just keeping those guys on campus from those earlier classes, there's a there's a running back somewhere on campus. A good one you've been developing. He just may not have been your ideal selection for that that spot, right? But there's somebody there that you liked at one point, high on your board. You brought in and you've been developing that knows your system, and that'll keep you from like keep you from the collapse, uh, mm-hmm. the precipitous drop in uh, in talent and production and. I, we had that at running back for a while, and now we're beefed up again at running back. Like go back to you the I mean? to the 2017 class, right? The two guy two guys who I think of Rod, and I'll throw three guys in there: Reese Leto, Daniel Young, Kobe Boyce. Are those guys going to be like your top, you know, any of your top eleven guys ever on either side of the ball? No, no. But if Jalen Green rolls an ankle and Deshaun Jameson gets ejected for targeting or whatever, and you say, "Crap, we need a corner to go in right now to finish this game." You can put Kobe Boyce in there and feel like, okay, he's been here long enough. We've developed him. He knows the system. Go in there. Yeah, exactly. And you're not just freaking out. Like It's not like you're putting a walk-on in there or a true freshman. Yeah. Same thing in running back with Danny Young. If you got that far down the depth chart where Danny Young has got to play, I think we'd all feel confident. Okay, there are some things Danny Young can do well that he can handle. Is he as versatile as Keontae Ingram or 
you know, how B. John Robinson's going to be or Roshan Johnson? No, but you can handle him to do and some things. And he'll get better with, you can have him do with some more things. reps. Yeah, so I, I think that's why your, your bus rate conversation is so important, you know what I mean, to keep you from falling off a cliff when the inevitable bad news, yeah. when, when the inevitable rainy day, which if, happens. if this was a predictable thing and you could just look at these kids, goes the then the whole recruiting you'd be done and you already know what these players are, but there's so much chance and some of it's fair, some it's unfair. So you can't predict those type of things. So whenever that's involved, it's like making sure that everything else is at least in order. It allows you yeah. to be able to survive it because we've saw it before, like, and you see it at other programs all the time where just a few little things can really change the whole dynamic. Well, you just get you just don't know right like yeah. uh, the uh Deontay Foreman um story is always so fun to me that Deontay yep. Foreman was like he was to throw in yeah to get his nobody brother, else Foreman right it was like well nobody, uh, well, get nobody else would take him together yeah. like they, they Texas exactly. was the only school to offer and even early on it was like oh no Monty's gonna be the guy and Monty was great he was Monty was a great player but Deontay ended up being the you know kind of the crown jewel uh, of one of the crown jewels of their recruiting class, and nobody really saw it coming. And he was the lowest rated one. And he was one of the all. lowest rated players. That's why you also got to keep those guys on campus because you just don't know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you, sometimes you think you know, and you're like, damn, I didn't know that guy was going to be that oh, good. Texas has seen transfers <laughs> work right? out all over the so, place. Like, uh, that's like John, uh, what's the, why, is it John Harris? Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, man, that was keep crazy. A, you know what I'm saying? You got to keep a guy. You're like, I didn't know John Harris was going to come out here and bail us out. But when you have to kick some kids out of school real quick, I wrote I wrote the yeah, story last week. I wrote the story last week looking at Jalen Ford, the linebacker from Frisco Lone Star. Hmm. He's the lowest rated high school signee, non-specialist high school signee in the class. So I'm taking out JUCO guys, punters, yeah. and kickers. Yeah. And I look back starting with the 2014 class like, okay, who was that guy and what has Texas gotten out oh, of that Oh, I like guy? that. Okay? Yeah, that's like the mystery irrelevant. Right? 20, 20, 24, <laughs> no, like 2014, it. Elijah Rodriguez. Ooh. I think we can all agree. Go back to 18. He saves your bacon on the offensive that's, line. With yeah, I like guy. that. By the way, your second lowest rated like signing uh, that fits that bill was Deontay Foreman. Uh, okay, there you go. Go to who was that guy in 2015? Brecken Hager. Yeah, yeah. We all agree. He got some productive years. Yeah, no, no. Brecken that hungry guy. Yeah, Bre- yeah no, Brecken, Brecken was a great contributor, man. But you, all the, the you go to, theme with that Mr. Relevant, the hungry guy, all these right. guys. Go to tw- who was that guy in 2016? Zach Shackelford, four-year starter on the offensive line. The slided Dang, guy, the captain. guy that's now, leader, yeah. it's chip on his shoulder. 2017, that guy was Rob Cummins, and Rob Cummins has had the injuries. Who was your second lowest-rated signing in that 2017 class? Sam Cosme, guy who's probably going to be a preseason Damn, All-American that offensive That is a tackle. good run, man. It's a team of Gary Patterson. And even now. <laughs> it is. <laughs> even now, you go to 2018. Christian Jones. We've heard about Christian Jones going yeah. back to the Sugar Bowl practices last his year. His name's like, been thrown Everybody's just been kind of waiting, okay, He's football, his soccer background, but yeah. they feel like they've really got something with him. Was Case Mc- or Colt McCoy this guy in 05? God, no. No, no. Colt, like the, well, the, I just the narrative on Colt. Oh, Colt was, no, Colt was a, people like Colt was a four-star guy. He was a top 300 guy in the country. He's higher rated than, than, uh, well, just that than class Patrick Mahomes so then. Who was the worst guy in that class? <laughs> in the 05 class, I'll go back and look here in a second. But, a, I like But this, like in, in 2019, Jared Wiley. I think we all agree, Jared Wiley. One more intriguing guy on the roster like this really year. Really high ceiling, man. Everything people were really excited about what he could potentially be. No, I like that. I, 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 I like that, but I think Matt's right. I think it's those guys. They know that in the mm-hmm. modern era of recruiting, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're probably on those damn websites. Colmico is a three-star guy. He was a, a almost a consensus top four hundred prospect in the country. Yeah, I always saw three star. I was so ingrained in 05 Texas and used to Vince Youngs in my five stars yeah. that I was like. 
three-star quarterback. Who's this trash kid? Well, Colt, no, Colt Texas, was Texas, Texas well, I mean, three, any three-star. Texas had three five-star quarterbacks in a row. Yeah. They had Chris Sims, Chance Mock, and Vince Young. Mm-hmm. And they were all five-stars at the time. And then you get three-star. You, you, you just go forget about Norco. You're not going to throw Norco. Was Norco five-star, too? No, uh, Norco, no, no, Norco no. was the top quarterback in the state in his class. I'm he was sure. a five-star, though. Okay, well, that's how sport we are. He's the best quarterback in the state, though, but he wasn't a five-star. Yes, exactly. uh, okay, that's a good point. My bad. North, I didn't forget about But, North Matt, North. your bottom three guys in that class, you take out, you know, like I said, take out the specialists. Uh, your bottom three ranked recruits in that class, Chris Hall, Charlie Tanner, Colt McCoy. There you go. Damn, dude, this is a thing. I like this. This is a good Well, it's just like your Mr. Irrelevant, your Danny Woodhead. Is well, it's like, that, you know, like there's I think all those guys. It's that, that chip on the shoulder, though, it is. You got that, I, I call it a motivational currency. And, you know, obviously Mamba mentality. Kobe Bryant was big on it. We just kind of like use you keep a slight drafted, forever. But you also have yeah, that. Yeah, you keep a slight forever, and you basically use it when you need it to motivate yourself. That's why Michael Jordan brings up his being cut hmm. from the high school team at his hmm. Hall of Fame speech ceremony. Motivation. But it's like Malcolm Roach the, was almost the, the Colt guy. McCoy yeah. thing. It's like being like, oh, he's a two star recruit. No, it wasn't. Like, go look at Colt's offer Regal list. Like, continues to grow. Like everybody. He was a zero no, star recruit. The, the big thing there is two really. A people confused, just like Terry Bradshaw did. He's a two A quarterback. He was a three star quarterback. Yeah, that's but, a good point. Like Colt, like Texas offered him early. A and M offered him early. Like Colt had. Uh, yeah. Coach's son, too. College coaches saw what they, they saw knew. from Colt McCoy. And I know what he, he knew. Was, Obviously, nobody knew he was going to be Jimmy. what he was. but Yeah, they knew he was going to be a damn good uh, uh, prospect, at least. But no, Rod, I mean, yeah, you start looking at that. Uh, That's that pretty good, though. I like guy. that. Like, I'm pretty sure if I just go to the 2002 class, I'm not going to say his name because I'm pretty sure I know who it is already. Uh, who's the lowest ranked guy that fits Ooh, the bill like in that class? I don't know. Oh, it's. Ooh, that's I don't a know good how that one. I'm trying well, to think. yeah, I mean, looking at it now, it, w- it was Dustin Mitch, but and then Marcus Myers ahead of him. But who was your third lowest rated signing in that class? Brian Robinson, guy that played what twelve, Damn. thirteen years in the NFL. Yeah. So, but it's it, it's no different than like that's that's kind of what you lose sight of, and you do want to, like I said, the ideal way you want to do it in recruiting, get the best recruits you possibly can that fit your style of play, and then develop them, and that's when you're competing for championships. But it's no different. Like you have to look. You look at your three star recruits, kind of like you look at really the last day of the NFL draft and signing undrafted mm-hmm. free agents. Like it's all about okay, now you really are looking for system fit guys and guys mm-hmm. that you know what I think this guy he reminds me of such and such guy that I coached at such and such place that we developed. Yeah, I'm going to take that guy. Yeah, because it, it, I think when we found out that a bust rate will kill a class, that determines mm-hmm. uh, if a class is a failure. It's the bust rate. Look at that. I think we also determine on the opposite end of that spectrum um, that what makes a recruiting class great is the hit rate, really not if you're a five stars or really your four stars, it's kind of like the three stars. It is mm-hmm. the guys that you did not really expect to be your filler. Yeah, yeah, to be NFL caliber players. The five stars coming in, literally that is why y'all gave them five stars, because they have NFL projection, right. NFL potential. Mm-hmm. Four stars are considered blue chips as well. When you get a three star guy that ends up being a starter for you, that can make your recruiting class truly great. Because that's assuming you have developed the five and the four stars, which are the easier prospects to develop right. and evaluate and project. You start you start getting those three star guys and turn it up. I mean, I don't I gotta start looking at that'd be great to start looking at all the three star guys from Texas and how they did. Because to me, that's kind of what makes a recruiting class. That's what makes you know your NFL roster so good is when you do get a fourth or a fifth round pick and ends up being a starter, mm-hmm. that is actually how you start building a champion. 
Yeah, and and Jeff, that's, right there. When Colt McCoy's a three star and Brian Robinson's a three star, those you know are I mean? two core guys uh, of those, those two, NFL hit top rate. D line and your quarterback. Yeah. yeah, like that's how you make a class. Those that's are five star positions. Yes. Normally, point. you get a five star D end or a five star quarterback. When your three stars perform as five stars at those key positions, that's what you're doing. You can really fill it in with all those other guys around. And it. that's how you know you're developing talent really well too. Yep. When those guys are being developed at a really high level. You're not wasting trying to find, I had a list of you know guys that fit that bill. No, I'm gonna go um, look that. Yeah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go look that like up. Basically, too. who are the three star guys Texas really developed uh, over the last decade? We can because um, what they've done. Because what they have. Okay, done. here here's kind of in the, in the last decade. Kind of here's the guys that were three stars and lower, <clears throat> and this is who I found that Texas really got the most out of: P.J. Locke, Zach Shackelford, Malcolm Roach, Jeff Swaim, Andrew Beck, Sam Cosme, Lil Jordan Humphrey, Charles Menehu. I threw Michael Dixon in there, and then Deontay Foreman. That's good. It's a good list. It's a good list. And it's and also it's, it, it's a the, shame because on some of those teams, you had the four and the five stars that went undeveloped or underdeveloped, mm-hmm. and yet those guys, that's how you know the development has been all over the damn place because I'm not sure that that is necessarily on the coaches. You know what I mean? That's just on their 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 progression as a player. I and think it's, it's a more, great way to show that, you know like, we, you, you can get a lot out of these players. The, the volatility just in the variance between every situation and yeah. every human in the fit is so big that, like, you look at these five stars, yeah, it's great to get it, but it doesn't mean that if you don't sign this high class that you're going to be totally doomed. It shows, actually, you can go pluck, and we've used right. examples throughout this whole show of all these other schools that can build entire well, programs that can surpass or well, the, get two tests. I mean, you look at the running back position overall, right? Deontay mm-hmm. Foreman, three-star. I mean, we've been, we were screaming for Deontay Foreman to be a starter from the time he was like, what, yeah. a, a freshman year? Like, that dude, he's a start. Yeah. Everybody knew it, right? But we, he, I think he still went underdeveloped. They brought in the veer and shoot, and it was almost perfect for his style of running. But then you look at the five-star running back to at the Malcolm Browns and the Jonathan Gray, Jonathan Gray in that category yeah. too. Yep. And, I mean, need I say more? Jay you know Gray, I mean? Jay Gray <laughs> was, I think we all agree, Jay Gray's was injury. Like, he was Jay trending was in, injury, in a good right. direction yeah. for the Achilles. Yeah. But, like, right. NFL carries. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, there are some people that believe that Jamal Charles, and I'm probably in this group too, I got to go back and look at it, was underutilized as well. You know what I mean? Jamal Charles probably yeah. should. Now yeah. looking back at it, what he did, he like, that dude should have been fe- featured more. What the yeah. hell? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like. And it wasn't I, featured until the and end. I don't, know, what was, I don't know what Jamal Charles was in terms of recruiting, but I don't the know. Running back. Five, four, top. top yeah, running back position is one of those positions I think you can look at, and it'll, deter- it'll tell you kind of how Texas has underdeveloped some talent um, at that position specifically. Yeah, yeah the old Selvin Young who went on to be a thousand yard NFL but that's rusher. When they were, that's, when they were de- that's when they were developed. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. Anyway. That's hilarious. Yeah. So it's just something to think about when you when you look at what makes a good recruiting class. Yes, I mean if you're doing it the right way at a place like Texas, you should have enough starters and NFL caliber guys. But a lot as this program continues to pick itself back up, really it's just about making you just minimize the bus rate and maximize scholarships to the point where totally agree. you've got enough depth in the program. Okay, now you can focus on really major talent acquisition and taking things to the next level. But totally agree. really, you're still you're still in the stabilization process, and I think we can all agree it, it's definitely not there yet, but Tom Herman is a lot further along the path to having a roster that is not just completely bereft of depth and or talent than Mac Brown or Charlie Strong was in the last decade. Totally agree with that. Yep. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You are more than welcome. Rod, we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049-1019 AM1260 streaming. On the Horn app and at hornfm.com. You can get Rod B on the Rodcast each and every weekday from 1 to 3. Shameless plug. Thanks to Matt. You can find our classic interviews, classic shows, all of our archives on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. And you can get Longhorn Blitz each and every week by searching Horns 24-7 Podcasts. You get us, you get State of Recruiting and the flagship anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. Just search Horns 24-7 Podcasts. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. And we'll catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus.